Welcome to the Ask Brian Podcast Radio Show, where you'll hear from some of the most successful founders and CEOs of businesses and startups, sharing their best advice for success, and even some stories on how their mistakes actually make them even more successful. Now, here are your hosts, Brian and Tracy. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You're listening to the Ask Brian Radio Show on KHS 1220 and 98.1 FM. Like no other station in the world! Why do you do that? He's got this, I don't know, he's got this, all this energy. Anyway, you're listening to the Ask Brian Radio Show. For some of you who have not listened to us, you know, I guess you're going to learn something today. For those of you who have listened to the show, you're probably tired of, why do you always start out with this E issue? Well, you know what? Some people are newbies and we need to teach them. That's how we indoctrinate them with our culture of the Ask Brian radio show. And people always ask me, why do you spell Brian with an E? And we always ask the engineer. We thought today we'd ask Tracy just to try to liven things up. Ooh. So, Tracy, you're on. Woo! Woo! Okay, well, I'm a big fan <laughs> of enthusiasm. Enthusiasm. And I'm also a big fan of efficiency, but I'm not really sure how that plays in this team. But I not with Ask Brian. We're not efficient. I do think it plays well with our guests, though. So I'm, I'm going to go with enthusiasm and efficiency more to be revealed. Are you enthusiastic? Woo! Woo! Like that? I mean, I can tell you're feeling better, so that's good, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it, it could be worse. <laughs> Okay, so what, you want me to continue, or I was just going with enthusiasm and efficient. I mean, I could go with excited, I could go with expert, I could go with engineer. Cause well, you, have we know explain, you have to explain why, why these are there. I mean, the reason we have expert is because on the S. Brian Network and the com, we have experts that are experts in the field that come onto the S. Brian website and become experts and help people solve problems, right? You can't just work well, it out. And we couldn't do it without our engineer, who I personally really admire and respect, and sometimes you abuse. But that wasn't a word with, e, with an E. <laughs> oh, Tracy, you make yeah, me blush. Yeah, but you missed, you missed the biggest one, and that is you have no empathy. <laughs> Actually, she does have empathy. <laughs> I think what you say, Master, is reflected right back on you. You have no empathy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, how about excellence? We all have the, the, we strive for excellence in everything we do, including the show and everything we do outside of the show. Well, I don't know what we do outside the show. That's your own personal business, but okay. So- <laughs> Whatever it is, I can promise you I'm excellent at it. <laughs> Let's not get into that because we do have a show to do, and uh, I do not want to mispronounce my guest's name, so I'm going to be very slow. And that's uh, Rashab Meta. Is that correct? That is correct, Brian. And Meta has nothing to do with Meta tags, because I know you're in computer <laughs> business. Maybe that's why I got in love with data in the first place. Or maybe you're playing tag as a kid, and you know you got tag. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. So, Rashab, first question I have: When did you start this business, and what business do you currently have? Perfect. So I'll start with a little bit of history about me, Brian, and let me just say. You know, going with uh, Tracy's uh, thing on E, I am excited to be here today and uh, talking to all your listeners. So I started as a data space. I have been a 
passionate data geek for uh, probably 25 plus years, uh, maybe even longer, and I'm probably aging myself. And with my background, I really got into business intelligence, data warehousing, analytics, and it's been a passion ever since. From the first time I looked at data to now, being able to take that data and convert it into intelligence is really what drives me, what excites me every day. And one of the biggest challenges I started seeing as I worked in this space for many, many large companies uh, building some largest analytical systems is everybody has data, right? We all know that. And it's, you know, you keep hearing the term over and over again, data is the new oil. And it is because data is really what drives businesses. It drives decision-making. It drives how a business move forward and it also determines if a business is going to be competitive and thrive or if a business is going to fail. And so that really drives my passion in data. And you know, I, I think about data and I look at all this data organization has and it's really like having crude oil, right? It's, it's data in itself, you know, companies are collecting terabytes and petabytes of data these days. You know, every time you turn around, it's like, yes, we have terabytes or petabytes of data, but really data in itself is like crude oil. And until you can refine it, you can clean it and really make sense of it, there is really no value. And so I started Matchbook about three years back as a real business where I realized there's a big need within organizations to get clean data and really keep it mastered and have it available to anyone and everyone that touches or needs that data. And so that's really what the business is. And we started that three years back right here in LA, and I've been excited to be on this journey ever since. So a couple of questions. Let's, let's go back to the very, very basic, basic concept. So data itself is any defined data. How are you defining data? So data is any point of information that you're collecting, and that could be, and the ones that, that are most relevant to businesses is knowing who your customers are, knowing who you're doing businesses with, right? Because you could be in a B2C relationship where you are selling something to consumers, but you could also have B2B relationships where you're working with other companies. They might be your partners, they might be someone providing you raw material, anything. And so when I think about data, it's anything to do with your business operations, whether it's your transactional data on what you're selling or buying from companies, whether it's just knowing who you are doing business with. And that's really a lot of the data that you know I think about and I care about. And it's really a lot of the data that when you need to make informed decisions about how your business is doing, you're looking at that. And so your company gets this data. What does it do with the data to help people analyze it? So we realized that, you know, companies today are spending millions and millions of dollars. So there's a survey done by Gartner and, uh, and an IBM estimate that uh, companies on average are losing about $9.7 million per year. And just across U.S., you know, every year businesses use, lose about $3 trillion purely because of bad data. It's bad data quality. And what we really do is we are able to take that bad data coming into the organization 
And at the point that it comes in, we're able to clean and master it. So right from the first time you have information about a business relationship or you have information about something that comes into your organization, our uh, platform helps you clean it and master it right from source. So when data comes in, how do you know that it's good data or bad data? It's almost never good data. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting because in all my years when I worked in BI analytics and I would go to a customer and I would say, you know, okay, you want to build analytics on top of your data. How good is the quality of your data? And by and large, the answer I would get from the customer is, our data is really good quality. And by and large, what we saw is 80% of the work that needs to be done to implement an analytical solution is clean that data. So no one can tell me data is good quality. But also when you think about data, you know, if you're thinking about a business relationship with somebody and you're saying, I want to uh, start working with this company, you'll get some basic information about the company, right? But then there's other pieces of data that you need about this company. You need to know maybe what's the credit history of the company. If it's a critical relationship, you maybe want to know if the company's ever declared bankruptcy in the past, you know, how many times has it done it, how often. Or you may even want to know from a compliance perspective, hey, is this someone on an anti-money laundering list or something else? So it's not just about the data that you collect from the business. It's about knowing more information to help you make informed decision of whether you should do business with them or even once you start doing business with them, knowing that at any given time, you're still continuing to make the right decisions based on changing trends about that business. So your platform is uh, matchbookservices.com, is that correct? That is correct. That's our website. And is your platform basically, or how people use your service, they go to that site and then are they able to log in and get information from there? Or do you sell a software or or we have a cloud or how, how does it work? Yes, we have a cloud platform. And so our customers integrate uh, their systems into our cloud platform, which does the work of cleaning this data and keeping all this information that we provide back to them updated in uh, near real time. So even over the year, as your business relationships progress, we will always keep you informed about changes to key attributes about that business that you care about. So what does cleaning data mean? Cleaning data can mean a lot of things. Cleaning data could be as simple as filling out a missing address. It could be as simple as updating the address when a business changes or a person moves. Or it could be something a lot more complex where you have data about, say, companies. You have duplications in your data. Uh, You have bad names. You have old names. In certain cases, you might be doing business with someone where you have the owner's name as the name of the business, and in another instance, you might have the actual business name or the trade style name, and being able to take all that and say, hey, this is really a single business that I'm working with. It's not three different businesses, it's one single business. So cleaning is really not just cleaning the attributes about that company that you have, but it's also being able to master that data. And you could master that data across one system. You could master that data across multiple systems. For example, if you are in a merger scenario, 
you know, typically with mergers and acquisitions, you are now bringing on new systems and you need to understand, you know, these are my customers that I do business with. These are the customers that other company does business with. And how do I combine this and master this so that I have a clean relationship graph of who we are doing business with combined. And what are you comparing the, uh, when you're doing the cleaning, what are you comparing that database to to see which one is correct? Because how do you know that something is wrong and needs to be clean unless you're comparing it to something that's accurate? And so what, what database are you comparing that to, and how do you know that that database is more clean than yours? That's an excellent idea. So one thing that differentiates us in the market is we use global referential data sets like Dun & Bradstreet, like Experian, and these are global data sets and global databases that have gone through a refinement process and a mastering process where the data is much more accurate about these businesses and then being able to take that, match it internally, and then keep the internal information updated across all systems. And uh, so do you have a subscription model? How, how do people pay for your service? Yes, we have an annual subscription model. So they pay usually based on the size of the implementation, the scope of the implementation, and a number of other factors, including capabilities like data management that we also provide in the cloud. And are they doing it themselves, or is this through, uh, or they need assistance from, from your company? Our platform is fairly plug-and-play, so we have all the hooks that a customer would need to integrate into any different system. So. We have customers that integrate this into uh, their uh, CRM platforms, their ERP platforms, their master data platforms, and just every system inside the organization. And is this compatible with all types of programs? For instance, whether or not you're on a Microsoft or, or using a Mac or, or, or an Oracle or anything, is this go across all types of platforms? It doesn't matter, or only certain platforms that you integrate with? It goes across all types of platforms, so it doesn't matter. We have a very varying degree of integrations that our customers do, all the way to uh, their own custom platforms that they might have. And on custom platforms, they would do it themselves, correct? That's correct, yes. And are you worldwide or just mainly in the U.S.? So right now we have been focusing on U.S., although we do have some customers that are multinational and global and they're using us across different subsidiaries globally uh, in their organization. And who is your typical customer? So our customers are typically the Fortune 1000. So any, typically any customer that's a medium-sized company with revenues above uh, 10, $20 million uh, would be a customer of ours. And you said so the subscription model is based on a yearly yearly subscription, do you offer like free trials or anything of that nature? We do. We do offer free trials for customers and uh, many of our customers will uh, will take advantage of that. How did you get your first customer? So my first customer uh, was actually through a referral that we got from Dun & Bradstreet. So we have a pretty deep partnership with Dun & Bradstreet and they helped and referred us to our first customer that we learned a lot from and really shaped up the product to be a true enterprise platform. And you started how many years ago? Three? Three years. And uh, I don't want you to tell any private secret information, but what's the growth rate? What's the, you know, what's your revenue at? Stuff like that. 
if you can share. So last year through COVID, we grew over 200%. This year, we expect to hit about uh, 300% growth. And we're expecting to end the year with about three hundred to $350,000 in MRR. Okay. And what's your growth plan? Our growth plan really is a lot of investments that we are now starting to make in sales, marketing. We are building partnerships and relationships with other companies as well that will not only white label and sell our solution, but might also be uh, platforms or channels that we are integrated with and can take advantage of their marketplace uh, like Microsoft and others. How many employees do you have? 20 employees. That's a lot of employees for that type of size company. Is it a lot of programmers and engineers or, or salespeople marketing or both? So right now about uh, 80% of our uh, team is engineers. So between customer success, between product engineering and R&D as well. And then a small percentage of sales, focus on sales. And we are just starting to uh, build up our sales team to a much bigger team. Tracy, I am here. So, but here's the thing that I would love to explore is because everyone loves to hear the entrepreneurial journey story. And you've, you've achieved so much success in such a small window of time. But tell us about what led up to this success and tell us what it was that was the catalyst to get you to where you are today. Absolutely. Thank you, Tracy. That's a great question. So, you know, as I talked about my background in data, that really uh, started bringing to fore this problem that companies had. And back in 2015, I was talking to a customer, and uh, and when we were talking about this problem, and uh, I, I helped uh, design a solution for that, you know, that really brought to bear that there's not really something like this specifically in the market that does it. And my entrepreneurial journey, unlike many, was more of an accidental entrepreneur. I actually started building this software in my garage. It was something that I did over nights and weekends. It was mainly to see if I could do it. You know, I had the customer requirements. I knew what they wanted, and I just wanted to play with technology. And being a geek at heart, you know, that's exactly what I did. So, so I initially built this out back in 2015, 2016, uh, not really with the idea of making it a company or even selling it. It was really to see if I could do it. In 2017 is when someone looked at it and said, hey, this would be great if I could buy it. And I started thinking to myself, okay, if someone's interested in buying it, then maybe there's something here and maybe I should start a company. And so that's that's exactly what we did in 2018 is when we established the company and I started really building gates around the product itself, really building it out to make it more enterprise ready so that we could sell it, we could license it. And as customers started coming in, you know, we noticed the pattern, we noticed this insatiable demand for this platform, the solution, and ultimately that clean, verifiable data at the end. And that that really started the entrepreneurial journey. So it really started with me in the garage. And then I brought in a couple of engineers part-time to kind of help me saying, hey, maybe this is, this is more than just a uh, garage project that I threw together and we need to build it out and see where it goes. And then in 2018, as I said, I established the company, started getting customers. 
and then uh, slowly started building out the team, building out the product to the point where we are today. Well, and I, you know, earlier you guys were talking about 20 employees being a large team, but I was actually thinking that seemed like a pretty small team based on a 200% growth increase over the past year. What are your thoughts on that? That's a great question. Actually, uh, last year, pre-COVID, we had projected to grow about 300%. And uh, at that time, we were a small team. We were about eight people beginning of last year. And so last year, we that was part of an intentional plan to grow out the team so that if we hit that growth rate, we had the team to support our customers because the first and foremost thing for us was we are never going to have an unhappy customer. And that was the most important thing. So we had to build out the combination of engineering, customer success to make sure that if we had achieved the 300% growth, we would be able to support that. You know, COVID slowed a lot of things down. It slowed our growth down to 200%. So we doubled over what we did in 2019. But we did have the team because as we started into this year, we know that we are going to grow very rapidly. So our team is ready to support that growth. If you were to make a recommendation to an entrepreneur in a similar growth strategy situation as yourself, I find as a business owner in an accelerated growth industry, which is podcasting, it's a very fine line between making sure that you hire the right amount of people to accommodate the level of growth while not over-hiring in case that growth doesn't happen. Is there any type of insight that you could share on where you find that balance? Yeah, I I think the most important thing is if being in an aggressive growth where we are, we need to hire the right people. So the most important thing I did last year is really brought in the best people that I could think of. And that's the team I know will help us grow into the next two years, three years. That will lead this company into that growth. So it was, it was really uh, a decision where You know, we did slow down some of our hires last year. We didn't grow as much as we wanted to in terms of headcount. So we did slow that down, but we brought in very strategic hires that we knew going into this year, going into next year, because COVID was not going to be there forever. It was going to turn around. We knew the growth was going to happen, and there's no question about it. So I think it does take more planning. You know, you may have a couple of missteps as long as you... I uh, recognize and correct them up front. And that's probably the most important thing is keeping check on that, slowing down when it's appropriate, slowing down your growth if that needs to happen. I think that's what I would tell the entrepreneurs. And again, I might be advising, but I'm new to this, so I'm still learning. It's a learning journey. Well, and I think, you know, one of the key things that you just mentioned that I would hope every business owner would focus on is that no unhappy customer. And I think that when you have a primary focus that's on making sure every customer is happy, then that in itself is something that the best team that you can afford and the best team that you can curate is absolutely a good way to ensure that. So I applaud you for having that be your primary focus in terms of recruitment and output of your services. 
So I will be the first to admit that I am data challenged, that it is an extremely <laughs> difficult piece of my business to manage. I'm not a Fortune 1000 company, so I might not qualify for your services to date. But what I would like to explore is these different areas of the business where you make data so much more approachable and integrated and really really add and contribute to the success of these businesses that you work with. Let's start with the marketing and sales. So it appears to me that if someone's using your data for marketing and sales, that it focuses on prospecting, market segmentation, and risk and opportunity analysis. Can you help walk through like the benefits of integrating these types of data into a marketing and sales department? Yeah, absolutely. And I'll talk about some of my uh, customer pain points when they came to me. One of the big pain points with bad data, even before you get to the opportunity cost, is just the cost of bad data, which is you have two salespeople that are chasing the same account because they don't know it's the same account, right? Or you have two different CRM systems and you have different people trying to chase down similar leads or the same leads. And that's, that's the first and foremost challenge. Then when it gets to opportunity cost, it's understanding the relationships between your customers and your prospects. Because sometimes you could be doing business with a company that is actually related to part of a bigger concern that you're already doing business with. And those opportunities might be easier to go in and close. So understanding opportunities, but you're spot on market segmentation, right? risk. It's, should I be doing business with this person or uh, this company, right? And identifying those ahead of time. So, so if you think about, you know, you just prospected a company, you got past discovery stage, and before you start spending too many resources behind that sale, you might want to make sure that you can actually do business with them. So it could be something as simple as an AML or an OFAC check on the company to see if, uh, if in fact, there's any red flags that might prevent you when you get to that final contract stage from closing the deal. So those are just the obvious things that good data can help with. Why did you focus on Fortune 1000 companies? I mean, obviously, they have money, and so that's an interesting concept. But, I mean, there's billions, not billions, but hundreds of millions of companies out there. And I would think that some of them need data issues as well. Do you have any foresight to be going after companies that may be in the top 10,000 or the top 100,000 or, or even small business owners that may say, hey, you know what, I need to get my data cleaned up because you know I'm sending out emails and 35% of them are coming back uh, you know, non-responsive? Absolutely. And that's a great question. And to some extent, it goes back to the journey and how we began and how we built the initial platform. But going back to the SMB question, you know, that's absolutely been on our mind. It's something that we will attempt and we will go after. It's just a much larger market where the customer acquisition costs are pretty high and uh, lifetime value of those customers are low. And so it was really a business decision to initially focus on the uh, Bigger customers, the medium enterprises are large. So probably you're talking about maybe 5,000 companies globally that we might focus on initially, but then really spread out beyond that to the uh, smaller companies. And so is that in your business plan at a certain time frame or, or that's just... It is. Okay. 
It is in our business plan. So it's, we are already building our next-gen platform, which will allow SMBs to take advantage of, uh, of what we deliver. And when you say, you know, you're going after the Fortune 1000, obviously, you know, as we say, if, if a Fortune 4000 company comes up, you're not going to turn them down, right? So, Oh, no. <laughs> exactly, right? Nope, nope. We're not going to turn them down. If they have a data problem and they have the money, let's talk. Now, are these contracts locked in? You said that they're yearly, but at the end of each year, if you want to get out, you can get out, or do you, is it a problem because you've got all your data and it's cleaning and everything? You know, how, how does that work? It's a fundamental problem for businesses. So what we are seeing with our customers is once they start using our platform and they have integrated our platform, it's, uh, it becomes part of the core DNA of the company's data infrastructure. So, so even though we start with annual contracts, most of our customers have renewed uh, to multi-year contracts, multi-year deals as well. I want to go back. When you were working in that garage on weekends and nights, just like the engineer is doing right now, every minute of every day, question I have for you is, you had a full-time job. Where did you work? So I was an independent consultant doing uh, big data projects, data analytics projects. And so I was actually working with a company that is now called Lucient Technologies uh, out of Georgia. And uh, I was working with some of their biggest uh, customers. And did you start the company alone or did you have another co-founder? I started it alone. And how long before you hired your first employee? So I hired the first employee, uh, I think, two years after I initially started building so for two years, it was just you? Yes. That's got to be tough because anytime you're running a business alone, it's kind of like the Maytag repairment. It gets lonely and you have to do everything. And if you don't know anything about sales, you have to learn it. If you don't know anything about you know, customer service, you have, to, you have to learn every little facet of your business. How hard was that? So I have been in uh, leadership positions before. I have been on boards of organizations. I have led organizations and companies. So I did have a business background that helped, but I also brought in an advisor to help me along the journey and really guide me on what I should be focusing on in terms of good governance and uh, structures and so on and so forth. And your company was formed in California and you started in California or did you start in a different state? It was in California. So it is a Delaware corporation, but it's a California company. Tracy, you had some questions? Yes, I do. Thank you. I would like to know what's next for Matchbook Services. Where is your area for growth, and are you looking for investors? And if yes, where would you allocate those funds? Yeah, that's a great question, Tracy. So when next? Uh, we are fundraising, for sure. So we are raising our uh, seed round and want to get to a Series A by the end of this year. And it's all because we need to invest heavily in uh, sales, marketing, and uh, R&D, and especially starting to look at, as we build out the next-gen platform and new innovations within our platform. So we are starting to, we have been reaching out to investors. We just joined Expert Dojo with Brian McMahon. Uh, right here in Santa Monica, and they are helping us with a lot of growth hacking, growth strategies that really help us get into hyper growth. And really, this year is focused on uh, customers, 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 and revenues. It's all about growth, building some really big partnerships as well along the way, and that's our core focus this year. 
when you're focusing on Fortune 1000 companies, I would imagine those type of sales are different than the BTC sales where you're actually, okay, throw a couple of Google ads, do a Facebook advertising campaign, you know, basically advertising, right? Fortune mm-hmm. 1000s are a total different element. So you basically based it on LinkedIn and prior contacts of people. You know, how are you getting your leads? That's a great question. So it's a combination of uh, web SEO to some extent, but it's really about a uh, LinkedIn-based outreach, not only to direct connections, but building out connections, building out that database of connections. It's about more thoughtful messaging, and it's about relationship building as well. So it's, it's a combination of those factors and, and you're right, you know, enterprise sales are typically not a two-day sales cycle or a, you know, 30-day sales cycle. They're typically 60 days to 90 days. And sometimes when you're with a Fortune 50 company, that sales is going to take six months. So it's about building, nurturing the relationship as well and really uh, being in it for the long term. Do you incentivize your sales team based on uh, on revenue that they to bring in on subscription models, term, uh, what's your main criteria? It's the number of new logos, and it's also the revenues that we derive from those logos. Uh, Those are the two big factors that we incentivize our salespeople with, and then we also incentivize them to a lesser degree with growth in our existing customer base and growth in revenues there. And uh, if people want to go for your service, it's... uh, matchbookservices.com is that correct that is correct and is there a if somebody wanted to reach out to you personally is that something you want to provide on the radio or not that's fine yes or no doesn't matter absolutely so my personal email is r meta m-e-h-t as in texas a at matchbookservices.com and where do you see yourself in five years from now I would say on an island, a private island, but... Uh... <laughs> and without any further ado, this is the Ask Brian Radio Show, KGS 1220, 98.1 FM. Thank you very much. Thank you for tuning in to the Ask Brian Radio Show. You can listen to us every Thursday on KTHS AM 1220 and FM 98.1 or via Facebook Live or anytime wherever you listen to your podcasts. Visit askbrian.com to join the conversation and ask us your business questions and we'll answer them on our next episode. That's askbrien.com.